I should be playing Elden Ring because that's what everyone else is playing right now. But the Bloodborne, the Bloodborne bug uh, is is so deep inside of me. But I'm all, I'm almost done with my second playthrough, and so then I should probably just stop there. There's, I can't imagine any reason I want to do it a third time. So, um, yeah, nerd shit. Hey, we're, we 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 talk about a nerd show, and all I'm doing is playing the same video game. I can't stop playing. <laughs> yep. This is the Big Bang Theory theory, and we're a couple of nerds. This nerd's name is Kyle. Hi, and I'm Nick, and yeah, you're listening to a show where, uh, ostensibly, we talk about the television series, The Big Bang Theory, but really, that is the briefest interruption in what is otherwise uh, just a cavalcade of obnoxious, nerdy garbage that Kyle and I are otherwise up to, which we will uh, predominantly talk about as we use this uh, television show as a jumping-off platform to just, you know, to talk about other shit we're actually interested in, but... You know, for people who actually like the show, we are going to talk about Season 6, Episode 1 today. So yeah, big big new season! We are almost at the halfway point of this series. <laughs> this dumb thing we decided to do kind of as a joke at a bar one day, we've now been doing for almost six years, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Don't make me think about the amount of time. Well, the amount of time, in one way, is so insignificant because it is a blip of... The amount of effort we put into this, in case you haven't noticed, listener, is goddamn so bare minimum. But yes, so much of our lives have passed. And to look back and think about how, uh, even just a few years ago, so relatively fresh-faced we were, and how how much more beaten down we are, at least we can mete out that progress in episodes of hilarious uh, Sheldon and Leonard antics. This is a relatively plot-heavy episode, I gotta summarize it very briefly, as briefly as I can, so we can just get right back to the the nitpicking. But yeah, season six, episode one, officially titled "The Date Night Variable," and uh, last season wrapped up with Wallow. It's going to space, which I realized after recording the last episode, I was so focused on that that the the, the real major thread of the season. That I feel was lost <laughs> was that Bernadette and Wallowitz got married. <laughs> like that's that is the big news. But Wallowitz going to space so much overshadows that, and so now he is in space. He is on his mission, and he is juggling two lies that he goes back and forth throughout the episode. He is telling Bernadette on the one hand that yeah, of course he's not going to live with his mom forever. That they're going to move out on their own and be their own couple. And he's telling his mom on the other end that, of course, they're all going to work it out. And Bernadette's just being a little bit unreasonable. And he just has to win her over to the idea of them all living together. And, um, you know, that's actually the entire episode. I lied about being plot heavy. That five seconds encapsulates no, the entire no, thing. No, I got – you forgot there's a whole – there's a Oh, there's B and C shit. Who cares? Raj is doing stuff. He's so lonely. Sheldon and Amy, like, Amy's like, oh, my God. Like, whoa, she take the relationship seriously? And Sheldon's like, you know what? In an attempt to show you how seriously I take this relationship, I'm going to quote Spider-Man. And me, in my emotionally vulnerable state this morning, I teared up a little. I'm going to admit that to everyone. I am so goddamn frazzled and frazzled and frayed at the edges that Sheldon trying to explain his lack of emotions in a way that would sound like emotions to another human being by quoting Spider-Man. I felt legitimately touching. All right, all right, okay, we'll do a soft reset. Yes, B plot is 
uh, Amy and Sheldon are approaching their one year anniversary of uh, an anniversary of what? Who knows? Technically, they're in a relationship. But Sheldon, of signing their relationship agreement, uh, technically. Well, yeah. Well, that's because yeah, they've, been, the they've been hanging out. Because yes. they've been hanging out. I just don't, I only bring it up because it was weird. Because I was like, they've definitely been together for more than a season of this show. But I think to clarify, there was there was like a season where they were or two where they were just hanging out, but they were not officially a couple. And then for the last season, they were officially a couple. Sure, and and something that gets brought up and then doesn't really get resolved which I thought was the best part of this plot, was that uh, Sheldon um, invites Raj along to their big date night, their anniversary date night, because uh, he doesn't really want to deal with the emotions of having an anniversary date night and thinks having Raj along would be very helpful. And the relationship agreement technically allows for it. And so while Sheldon is like beaming with pride that he has found this loophole in the agreement that allows this to happen... Amy, understandably, uh, is miserable about it. But by the end, she ends up forgiving him because he quotes Spider-Man. So that's uh, that's how their relationship is going, is Sheldon is completely emotionally distant and unavailable because something that I thought was kind of silly is that Amy has these expectations of him to be emotional when that is not who he is. And when the end, he makes the most surface-level attempt to acknowledge that sometimes people might have emotions. Amy says, good enough, this is the best I can do, and then their part of the plot is resolved. (laughs) And then, I guess, in a C-plot, Penny and uh, Leonard are still working through their weirdness and their quasi-relationship. It doesn't really lead anywhere. Raj, after getting dumped by (laughs) Amy and uh, Sheldon on their date, uh, interrupts Penny and uh, Leonard who uh, Leonard does a real piece of shit move where he's like, hey, Penny, come on, we'll have beer, we'll, we'll watch the game. We're going to have just a totally normal night that is catered to Penny's tastes. And within 30 seconds of starting that night, he's like, all right, but we have to have a really serious relationship talk, like immediately, tell us what the status is. This Siraj shows up, he's drunk, he's talking about how much they love each other. He demands that Penny tell Leonard that she loves him, and then they throw him out. And then... To, to wrap up him, I guess Raj gets his own little kind of D-plot at the end where hopefully there's more pay- attention paid to this this season. Raj is the odd man out three ways over. <laughs> like, he's just getting kicked to the curb over and over again. He finally goes to uh, Stuart of the comic shop, the loneliest person in the universe, and they they t- they listen to some Bossa Nova music while while, while drinking... I can't remember. Was it coffee, liqueur, at least out of a Chewbacca mug um, for Stuart and then something else, some other nerd shit for Raj. And, and then they decide to make a date, like a little friend date, and it's cute. And if the best Raj can do is having friend hang out with Stuart, like, that's, that's better than just being tossed aside by all of his friends. So, hooray. So, like I said, a lot of stuff actually happened. Ooh, I'm going to rate it right now out of 13, though. Ah, five. Because all that stuff happened, so much plot happened that they didn't really have time to squeeze any jokes in. I don't know, Kyle, how did you feel? Yeah, I'm not going to rate it because I'm bored with the gimmick of rating it. So until I until I like one enough to have an opinion, or hate one enough to have an opinion, I'm going to skip that part for now. So um, this one, it left you feeling nothing. It just glanced off of you. Yeah, I mean, I I think that was kind of the point. I assume this episode uh, exists, you know, for people who are uh, 
maybe a little bit into the Big Bang Theory lore, but not too deep. It was, you know, what we might call a recap or a season reset. It basically only exists as an episode to remind everyone of, like, what the, like, emotional landscape of uh, the series is. Um, and so it's like, okay, here's where everyone currently stands. Penny and Leonard, you know, still haven't figured out their whole thing, but they're still seeing each other. Penny refuses to admit she loves uh, Leonard, despite the fact that they've been dating over a year. Sheldon and Amy are in a relationship agreement. She wants more emotional and physical intimacy than he seems capable of providing. Raj is still desperately single and sad. Wallowitz is now married and torn between his old shtick, which is being a giant mama's boy, and his new shtick, which is being, you know, whipped by his charismatic wife and how will he reconcile that and that's basically you you could watch this episode and have never watched an episode of the big bang theory before and you'd be basically caught up yeah well except that like as far as actual new content added of the thing that i liked the most about this episode that i really hope is the focus is i i really like the idea of wallowitz traveling the galaxy to escape his own web of deceit uh, and it's very, very simple right now. He's just trying to, like... Well, I mean, one of his fellow astronauts calls him out and is immediately... Like, after he gets off the call uh, uh, off call with Bernadette or the mom, I can't remember which, he's like, so you you are just, like, bald-faced lying to both your mother and your wife. Like, what are you going to do when you get back to Earth? And Wallowitz is like, I'm not going back to Earth, that's it. That is the show I want. Wallowitz never does return to Earth because he is too busy trying to maintain, you know, maybe these are just the first two relationships, maybe. Ooh, so I started watching an anime, and I recommended it, and I'm sorry, listeners, because I think I have to take back that recommendation, Space Dandy, about a dandy in space. Uh It wasn't a a bad show, but I think the premise is far exceeds the, uh, um, the quality of the execution, and... If if Wallowitz were to become a space dandy, oh oh, what a show! That would be fantastic. But I like the idea of a sci-fi spinoff to The Big Bang Theory. Just Wallowitz in space. Yeah. They should each get their own show. If they're gonna have a young Sheldon about what it's like growing up to be Sheldon, then Wallowitz gets his own like yeah, his, his own Buck Rogers. Except instead of being a a, a dashing, daring traveler of of action adventure. He instead uh, just has awkward, you know, semi-sexual relationships with women that he can't ever fully commit to because of his mom issues. And so he just kind of like emotionally coerces them into this uncomfortable commitment that they're never fully committed to because he can't let go. And he he maintains this through throughout the... Well, I was going to say the solar system. That's too small. The galaxy. Just, just him occasionally getting groped outside of his pants by space babes and then going, no, my mother will find out and then running off to the next adventure. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, hate that either. Although as long as we're on the subject of mothers, his mother has one of the most, it, it's not so much a problem with the line as with the, once again, just the baffling audience reaction, because 
when Wallowitz is trying to tell her that maybe he's going to live with Bernadette, he's not even being that decisive. He's like, I have something to tell you. And she's like, oh, my God, you're leaving me. And he's like, now wait. She's like, no, no, I get it. Your father left me. Now you're leaving me. I guess I'm just the kind of person that people leave. And that is some stone cold emotional manipulation. Oh, yeah. And it just it got like you know the classic audience laugh it's just i get you know that sort of line that seems like it's out of like a i don't know a harold pinter play or something it's just like everybody's like ah ha 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 and it that was weird well so that and what wallowitz is doing like it's very blatant manipulation and None of it, well, I was going to say, it's not played for laughs. That's not true. The attempt is to play it for laughs, and it's just not really working for me. But, yeah, like, that, I, I guess his friends can't confront him about it right now because he is in space. <laughs> but that, this is the kind of thing where, like, if if I were friends with Wallowitz, I feel like I'd have to sit him down and be like, I don't know. You're shooting yourself in the dick here. Like, you're going to lose, <laughs> you're going to lose both of these people. And I will, I don't know if I will have any sort of uh, remorse or sympathy for you because of the decisions that you made. And in here, it's just kind of like, oh, Wallowitz is being classic Wallowitz. He's not a sex criminal, but instead he is so craven that he has to lie to everyone he knows to try to remain within his own comfort zone, I guess. Well, to be fair, he really is in a, I mean, again, because it seems like his mom is codependent with him and she really, she's, she might like, she's going to make a big deal of it if he leaves. Now you're right. The responsible thing to do is probably just be like, nope, I'm married now. It's weird for me and my wife to live with you. But you know, I get why that's a hard thing for him to do. Well, but it's been a hard thing for him to do for a season plus now. Right. It's not like he hasn't had time to figure it out. Like, I I accept that Wallowitz's mom is always going to be the the overbearing, shrill, off-camera presence that she is, and that's static. That's not something I expect any sort of development with. But for Wallowitz to continue to, like, try to develop as a character where he's supposed to have, like, a meaningful, committed relationship with somebody and not just, like, try to grope unsuspecting, like ladies with cat ears at sci-fi conventions or whatever he's been doing for the entire rest of his life up until last season. Um, they haven't really done anything to change his character at all. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's what the season will be. Maybe the complaints I have now and the frustrations I have now are going to be paid off. And this is good television. This is the drama and the excitement that I want. I'm engaged. I take it back. Five out of 13, doubling it to 10. Great episode. I'm wrapped. Um. Oh my god! So this does it brings up one question, which is I I thought about it when you were talking about the the one year anniversary thing, which is I guess time exists in this show, which I'd never like. Are we supposed to like? Are these characters aging in real time? Because I noticed they always do like a season break, and over like the season break is always supposed to represent like represent like a couple of months. Sure, and it's just like. Are these people eight, like, is the Big Bang Theory supposed to be, like, taking place in real time? Is that normal? Maybe I just, maybe that's true of all sitcoms. I just never think about it. As opposed to uh, other forms of scripted television, which, like, and dramas, which, like, have much more amorphous time frames. But, like, has it always been the, like, do most sitcoms take place in roughly real time? Well, I mean, I don't know about most sitcoms, but, like, 
the first one that came to mind for me was Peep Show, and I feel like that one, you know, it's only six episodes a season because the, the the British know how to do it. But yeah, it always seems to like represent a couple months in their life, and then the next season is usually uh, in that show anyway, like the next actual year. It feels like so. Like, every season is a year in their lives, and you're seeing, like, the most intense few weeks of it um, is how it feels. Most other sitcoms, I assume, have to do something similar. Well, but the, the question I have, though, is, why is this concerning you? Why are you asking it right now? It's just weird, because then you have to grapple with, like, I mean, then these, like, then Leonard and Penny's relationship does actually start to look weird because now they are people who have lived across from the hall for each other for six years, dated on and off over the course of six years, and she still won't say she loves him. Now it actually is kind of now I'm with Raj where it's like, why won't you just like commit to him or else cut him out of your life entirely? Cause this is getting obnoxious. Well, like that- I guess it's, this is a pro- basically, I think I had the same problem with how I met your mother, which, like, the whole joke of that show was there are a bunch of young people in their 20s trying to figure out, you know, life and true love and everything. And then the show ran for, like, 10 fucking years. So by year 10, when, like, the main character was still dating random women and being like, is this the one where it's like, you are 33, my brother in Christ. Get your get your life together. You got to stop this. Well, I mean, but with with Penny and Leonard's relationship, though, I think you are 100% right about... Her, you know, either needed to be like, we're in a relationship and we're committed and not just kind of like stringing them along or whatever. But I feel like that is something that this show should be more about and just stop being about. Like, what you're bringing up, I feel like, is the thing that the show, regardless of how time is passing, I think would make more sense and feel more natural if there were any sort of attempts to show how it is actually progressing. But instead, like, if I remember even remotely correctly, which is not likely, like, somewhere halfway through the last season, they start kind of casually mentioning that Leonard and Penny have started dating again, and then by the end of the season, you know, he's proposing to her while they're having sex, and it's like, okay, that is all crazy. Why is all of that happening in the background? And now we're back to season six, and they're just kind of keep it up the same issue and yes, i think you're I right that's yeah it's not so much it's like it's like it's weird to think about re- it nobody you know in your life would be in patterns the static for this long like everybody like in the in the course of the six years that we've been doing this show i wish that were true i wish that were true but let us continue <laughs> I, I I know people who have absolutely been in the the quasi relationship state for uh, upsettingly long periods of time. Well, there you go. I am wrong again. The Big Bang Theory is a documentary, and I just don't appreciate it. Yeah. Well, if anything, like I, I don't think it's handled well in the show, but I think that is increasingly more common where people, rather than like ever defining what their relationship is, is kind of like hover around each other until eventually their their property becomes intermingled enough that they're sort of one entity and then either that works out or each of them is keeping a list of rules that they're waiting for the other to violate so they can always like have some sort of excuse to fight and for it to blow up but you know like i think that the very traditional like 
you know, oh, we're dating, now we're committed, now we're, like, a serious relationship and moving towards, like, it feels silly to even say, like, moving towards marriage or whatever, because, like, marriage almost, like, marriage to me feels like a completely outdated concept, but... So them being in this kind of weird, yeah, I guess we're kind of fucking, we're kind of friends, whatever. You heard it here first, Nick Hyde is against marriage. Yeah, I mean, not, I, yeah, that, that is like one of the least controversial of my beliefs, uh, but yeah. Um, and so I can absolutely believe two neighbors uh, across from each other, sometimes we're friends, oh, but ah, I had a bad day or I'm having a bad week, oh, it'd be really nice if I just had someone's like... It's the titties I could put in my hands and we could just cuddle for a while. Oh, this has gone great. Uh-oh, but she's way hotter than me and she can go do her own thing. Oh, but things aren't going great for her and now she's coming back across the hall to me again. Like, that's a miserable, probably, experience for, for either of them, but I can see that happening for a long time. But why it's in the background when they're the two main characters, theoretically, I don't understand. Yeah, I guess all I'm really bitching about is how I like shows that have more continuity, like where the characters evolve more over time than this. Yeah, well, that's... Which is a fair thing to say, but it's not like... I don't think it's actually fair for me to single out the Big Bang Theory. Like, it's it's a particular... Like, it's it's an example, but I'm not sure it's even the worst example. the, The consistent negative feedback we get from people who hate our show is that... It's like, have you never seen a sitcom before? Like, do you not like jokes? Do you not understand how a sitcom works? And I think to, to a certain extent, like, yeah, we, we might be expecting too much to want the characters to change substantially over the course of the series. But at the same time, like, we're essentially watching the show in real time. Like, we've been <laughs> parsing it out in such a way that we're watching it at an even more constant drip than someone who were watching it as it came on TV. And for us both to be frustrated with how slowly the characters seem to be changing, I, I think it does become a more and more reasonable criticism. Because, like, I don't know. I've, I've seen other sitcoms, plenty of other sitcoms, and I've never committed to them like I have this one. But, like, I've never been watching a random episode of Friends and being like, ah, man... That Joey sure has been stuck in his season one arc for 30-odd years. Like, I can't watch these old reruns knowing that nothing about him has or will change. But that does feel like what we're experiencing with this show. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, like, even, like, I didn't watch that much Friends, but, like, things like Chandler quits his job eventually and gets a new one. Like, Joey's career inevitably takes off and he becomes not super famous, but semi-famous. You know, Ross has a whole crazy up and down academic career and it's just like, Sheldon has moved offices. Yeah. No, like, all of their personal lives, aside from their relationship drama and their connection to obvious nerd culture has no relevance on the show. The fact that they all work at a university has no bearing whatsoever on the show, other than that occasionally meeting in the cafeteria is a place to start an episode. Penny being an actor, gone. Oh my god, I hadn't even thought, like, I had forgotten she was an actress. Has nothing to do with the show anymore. What does she do? Does she even work at the Cheesecake Factory that was never actually a Cheesecake Factory? Like, is she just in a deep depression? And that's why every now and then she comes over to Leonard's place and Leonard's like, oh God, I'll get you beer, I'll let you watch football, whatever, just just to get through this, whatever it is. Like, is, is that why nobody changes? Because 
we're watching a group of people who are keeping a surface level smiley face on in spite of them all just being in like such an emotional doldrums just like like and Sheldon and Amy's relationship I guess would be like the ultimate example of that where two people just decided like not naturally but decided like now is the time we are dating and a year later they're like a year has passed we we have checked the appropriate amount of time to mark off this period of our relationship progress in spite of none of the actual relationship stuff happening you know what? It's like a sitcom. When you say it like that, it's almost like a sitcom MMORPG. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I, I, that is something that, you know, on its face, it could be like, could like such an easy thing to hear, but just, I such a negative, like, it's like poison in my ears, thinking of, like, combining anything with the MMO experience, like, oh, that thing you enjoy? What if we diluted a million times? What if we took something you liked, and instead of just giving it to you, we made, we, we made you put in hundreds or thousands of hours, and stretched it out over years and years to give you like the thinnest trickle of endorphins to oh god God. it was the simplest thing you've said and i'm done i'm unbound maybe if you are still playing 20 years from now and you're at level 80 and you have all the best armor you'll finally get to see penny and leonard get married and won't that feel like an accomplishment it will be one cutscene rendered with our incredibly shitty graphics engine. Yeah, that's... I mean, and that's another thing, too, is, like, what ultimately... And this is, okay, I'm, I, I'm feeling silly as I'm asking it, but I've already started, is, like, what, what are any of the characters, like, personal goals? Because, like, aside from their relationships, which are always in what feel like pretty static states like what you know it's it's hard to be invested in them on their personal journeys like you know Wallowitz has been the star with going to space that has been the thing to be invested in but you know the the other three nerds are all serious academics and if that's nothing to latch on to or any passions they have outside of them like well, what you know- if, go ahead I was going to say, I mean, you're right, but I was almost, that's true of other, it's like, it's not true that in other shows the characters, like, necessarily grow more nuanced. In fact, they often grow the opposite, but you know what most other shows do is at least, like, the characters get more outrageous over time, right? Like, that's a longstanding criticism because sometimes it leads to its own parodies. Like, it leads to its own problems, right? But at the very least, like, you know, you start, like, I was thinking about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and like, in the in the first season of that, like, uh, what's his name? Charlie Day's Charlie's quest is always to bang the waitress, right? And it has been for, like, a ridiculously long amount of time on that show. But, like, in the first season, it's like he's occasionally, like, you know, finding new excuses to go into the coffee shop where she works. And, like, by season six, it's like, no, he's writing a full-blown musical and trying to trick her into coming to see it with... The secret expectation that it's going to be, like, at the very least, the character, like, even when the characters are chasing the same things, they just, they, the, their attempts to achieve their static goals become more and more ridiculous over time in a way that can be its own form of entertainment. 
Well, and I think that's a great example because I think It's Always Sunny did an episode where I don't know if it's because of internally they just thought it would be fun or if it was like a response to fan reactions. But they had an episode where all the characters kind of acknowledged that over the years they'd kind of turned into cartoonish supervillains. And we're like, what if we just had a normal day? What if we went back to being like kind of regular, but just mostly self-centered people just for a day? And then by the end of it, they're like, that's fucking boring. This was bullshit. No, we're going back to just being monstrous. We don't like... <laughs> and, but I think you're right that, um, yeah, that that progress from... They all, they all kind of... And I, I think this is also true in other sitcoms, but yeah, it's particularly um, noticeable and It's Always Sunny, where they do start as mostly normal people. But then their character traits uh, that, that make them awful become more and more just who they are <laughs> and like what initially made them like relatable humans disappears <laughs> yeah but that's fine like even you know no, or even not, go- that wasn't a criticism <laughs> it's just it's fun just saying, it's a I would lot al- of fun yeah i would almost like you i would almost rather that like wallowitz and leonard and the rest of them had continued like 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 you know Raj in this episode we see a little bit of the old alcoholic obnoxious Raj and almost wished by this point in the show like that they had just like instead of giving them all girlfriends and sort of trapping them in this endless like couple cycle imagine a version of the show where we're now in season 6 uh, Raj is a full blown alcoholic who never does anything sober Wallowitz is like a full blown like is a uh, what's that guy's name from Family Guy is like a full blown yeah, it's like a full-blown quagmire-level, like, sexual predator in a way that everybody still ridiculously treats like it's funny. Yeah, uh, like, they're le- all great friends still, but they have to uh, be careful about their scheduling because Wallowitz isn't allowed within a thousand feet of the outer perimeter of the university. Yeah, let you know, Leonard and Penny are probably still doing something, but it's just gotten, like... You know, it's gotten ridiculous. His attempts to get, you know, get with her and get her to commit just look increasingly outlandish like Rube Goldberg machines of Mm -hmm. trying to trick her into saying that she loves him. And then, you know, Sheldon's a full-blown supervillain. He's literally, you know, he's like Steve Urkel in, like, later – he's, like, literally invented, like, a teleportation machine or something by this point. At least then you'd be like, well – you know, this show, it's ridiculous, but at least something's happening. Yes, things have heightened. Uh, characters have developed, uh, but no, you know, this is going to be the season for us. I just feel positive about it. Season six is going to be the one where we finally get it. Uh, this is going to be much like Bloodborne. Uh, season five was our blood starved beast and we've defeated it. Uh, yeah. This but, will be the season where we like the show, and this will be the season where, where all of the negative fa- uh, Apple reviews we keep getting turn around, and we become one of the incredibly popular podcasts we have always striven to be without making any of the commensurate effort. Yes, we will stop just getting the occasional random ad encouraging us to change uh, podcast servers, and we will we'll start getting legitimately groomed. But with that... Kyle, I don't know. I feel like I've spent enough time frustrated about this episode that I'm ready to talk about yeah. something I enjoy. How do you feel? I'm good. I feel like this segues really well into my thing of the week. Well, jump right into it then. Hey, also, by the way, if you never watch this, listen to the show before, we talk about things we actually enjoy at the end of the show. That's the part we're doing now. Segment intro. Real fucking great. Kyle, what's so your spe- nerdy thing? So speaking of <laughs> the specific niche categories of of shows that involve cartoonish outlandish characters that 
over time became more serial and complex and still allowed their characters to grow and change. I have recently started rewatching. I feel like this has been a recommendation before, but fuck it. I've recently started rewatching The Venture Brothers. Oh, okay. I'm very interested because that is a show that I feel gets like exponentially better as it goes on. Uh, and I'm very sad that it will never really wrap up in a way that I want it to. But God, please. Get I mean, there's a new movie. They say they're making a movie oh, now. I didn't hear about that. Okay, that's right. Yeah. There's a movie in production. Who knows if it will be satisfying, but at least there's a movie in production. So yeah. So the Venture Brothers is a cartoon show ostensibly up that originally premiered on Adult Swim. So so you can imagine it's sort of like a uh, you know goofy show for stoner grownups kind of thing that used to come on right after Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And the main character. Uh, the plot, I guess, of the Venture Brothers is Hank and Dean Venture travel around the world with their dad, who is a brilliant but jaded scientist, uh, Rusty Venture, and their guardian, Brock Sampson, who is a square-jawed, you know, homicidal sociopath. And they cross wits with various mad scientists and dangerous people, including... Dr. Venture's arch nemesis, the monarch. And that is the original premise of the show, which was intended entirely as a parody of the 1970s cartoon series, Johnny Quest. Mm -hmm. And the show is famous. And I mean, aesthetically, it's famous for basically combining like, you know, all of the pop culture ephemera from like the 1970s with like just ridiculously niche inside jokes about said pop culture so that you have, you know, like you meet uh, the master spy guy who is like, you know, in charge of like this universe's version of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's clearly Hunter S. Thompson. And at one point, you know, you meet the $6 million man and he's having a love affair with Bigfoot, which I'm told, without having ever seen it, is entirely a reference to one episode of the $6 million man where he met Bigfoot. Um, yeah, I know what you're exactly. talking about in the show, but I've also never seen the Six Million Dollar Man, and so I thought it was just like a random fun thing they were doing the whole time. <laughs> well, that's most of the Venture Brothers is like that. If you like, if you've never seen a bunch of like '70s Hanna Barbera cartoons, if you're not familiar with like some incredibly niche television shows and movies from that era, then there's all of these characters who just show up, and you're like, ah. That's kind of weird, and half the time that's even me. I'm like, I don't know who these characters are supposed to be, but then occasionally it'll be like, oh, I get it. It's what if Doctor Strange was also Vincent Price or Stephen, the you know, the guy from Fright Night, um, and so it's just weird stuff like that. You know, there's a there's an evil you there's an evil criminal like the overlord of the evil criminal like organization, not the monarch, but the guy who's like the monarch's boss is like a mysterious shape-shifting alien wizard dude called Sovereign, who sometimes looks just like David Bowie. And it is a running gag throughout the show. Does he look like David Bowie because he's a magical shape-shifting being from another dimension? Or is it canonical in this universe that in between performing concerts as, you know, uh, the guy who sings Is Their Life on Mars, Ziggy Stardust, is David Bowie actually running an international crime syndicate because he's really a cosmic alien shape changer? And you don't know within the context of the Venture Brothers, which, you know, on its face makes it all kind of fun and 
would probably make it relatable. But what makes the show really great is as it goes on, it, it interweaves all of these threads and these joke characters and all of these plot points that you think are going to be throwaway bag gags into this incredibly complicated and meaningful mythology. All of the characters, like all of the characters over time come to realize very dark truths about themselves. There are serious, like some shocking revelations about just like the core conceit of the show and how it really works that I don't want to spoil. There are constant mysteries around, like, why people are the way they are and who their parents are and things like that that just totally come out of left field and blow your mind. And, you know, like, you know, people die. (laughs) People change allegiances. Like, so, yeah, as Nick was saying, you get to, like, the end of season six and, you know, all of the characters, like, most of the characters from season one are there, but they are completely different people than they were when the show started. And you're just like, oh, wow, this really, like grew into something completely uh almost epic in a way I wasn't expecting. So I, you know, I I really appreciate that. But I was going to say as much as I'm I'm on the first season now and as much as the first season is um obviously more on just like the jokey jokes and the hey like random stoner humor. Sure. You can see them like very early on they are actually laying like, I can't tell, basically what I'm saying is, I can't tell if there are jokes in the first season that, um, you know, that they later picked up on and made into bits of the mythology of the show, or if they had it planned the whole time. But it, it almost doesn't matter because what's great of it, it's like watching the show again, having seen most of it and coming back from the beginning. There are things like in the first couple of episodes where you're like, oh my God. You know, you, you just that play out totally differently with like this deep tinge of dramatic irony just because you know where the show is headed. Yeah, so, I uh, will second all of that. And the only thing that I will add is a, a slight caveat, which is, uh, as, as I said at the beginning of Kyle's description, um, I believe that the show gets exponentially better as the series goes on. And my caveat I'll add is that the first episodes, especially if you've heard about how incredible the show's show is, um, can be kind of rough because uh, the animation style in particular, I remember looking like almost like high grade flash animation. And as you mentioned, Kyle, yeah, it is much more kind of obvious late night weird stoner humor, but it is still very good and it only gets better and better. And so if you are interested in it, I would say if you have any sort of like, I don't know if this is for me for those first couple episodes, do stick with it because well, I remember going on our Reddit thread once, and they were they were recommending that if you absolutely just do not think you can stand it, that you can probably jump to the very end of the, like the last two episodes of the first season. The next to last episode is I think called Trial of the Monarch, and if you start there, it just it's a much like cleaner entry into like the the long arc of the show that's really where it starts to pick up steam most people feel but again i started watching i actually did the pilot is unwatchable you should skip the very first episode because it was made as like a one-off short it's tonally very different it's you everyone should skip the first episode but i do think there's a good argument to be made for starting from the second episode on 
the second episode, which, by the way, begins with a pretty good joke, which is Dr. Venture is teaching in a Mexican community college. And he says, and and so by applying this complicated mathematical formula, we see it is impossible for the chupacabra to exist. Now, a very interesting thing happens when we apply the same principles to Catholicism. And then he gets interrupted. But actually, that's a pretty good joke. Yeah, no, it's it's a very funny show. It's it's almost I find it like in a weird way, like irritatingly clever and i don't i don't mean that in a negative way i'm like jealous i'm like god damn it like the people thinking of and writing this are so far beyond me (laughs) like i i wish i could be this funny i wish i could see like these characters and these silly situations from so many different angles and build them up in the way like like you said kyle like these immense elaborate interwoven mythos develop over the course of the series that you cannot possibly see coming from how like silly or inane things seem earlier on in the series. But like, yeah, every character has real pathos and has something in their backstory that like in, in a world full of like freaks and supervillains, the show goes a long way to try to explain like why these people are actually damaged. Like, <laughs> and, and like one of the funniest uh, and kind of like, it, it, this is like not at all like one of the deeper uh, character parodies, but it is really funny. Uh, is the the parody Fantastic Four who all really really struggle with their superpowers? Yeah, it's basically <laughs> like oh, they're disabilities. We get exactly, it exactly. Yes, like it, it's great that one of them is a Human Torch. Uh, he has to be kept in a chamber so he's not constantly on fire and in pain. <laughs> it's uh th- things like that but yeah so i uh, just seconding kyle's recommendation immensely i'm gonna keep mine short because it's not really a nerd thing but uh, as i mentioned at the top of the show i've just been playing bloodborne i don't think i've really <laughs> experienced anything nerdy other than that in the last two weeks but i have been watching euphoria and uh i avoided for anyone who just isn't already aware it's a show on hbo and it is uh, a teen high school drama, and I didn't watch it for a while because it was a teen high school drama, and I thought, like, oh, like, I hear it's good, but it's for teens, and so, like, I don't know, it's just not something that I can probably relate to, but I kept hearing over and over again how it's it far exceeds the kind of what seems like the, the trite, I don't know, not premise, but, you know, it's like, it, there's so much that you expect out of teen high school drums that you would get out of any other show but uh euphoria elevates it so much and to explain pretty briefly uh some season one stuff that is not it because it's all discussed in season one i'm not going to consider it in in episode one i'm not going to consider it spoilery uh but the series focuses primarily on rue a uh high school i don't know like sophomore junior whatever everybody's in high school who uh, has developed a very serious drug problem and who has gone and uh, finished rehab, but upon finishing rehab has zero intention of staying clean, just does not give a shit. And so her whole thing is she's still struggling. She still is emotionally fucked up and relying on drugs and dealing with teen shit. And about the same time she is getting back into school after her experience, she meets Jules, new girl in town, young adorable sailor moon ish like trans young girl who has a hobby of 
fucking random strangers on Tinder, and wouldn't you know it, that itself creates some complications for a high schooler. (laughs) And they immediately become, like, besties, and in spite of their obvious issues, that is... Their drama is not even, like, the the most dramatic, intense, by a long shot, uh, tribulations they have to deal with, uh, and even the course of the first season. And something that I really, really enjoy about the show is how I feel like it, it very frankly and honestly discusses mental health and substance use. I feel like in a lesser show you would see mental health as something that were, you know, mental, uh, mental health disabilities, mental illness as something that, you know, oh, you're just waiting for the person to get treatment or get medication and get better. And substance use is like the thing that they're using to cope with at a low point that they need to leave behind until they can get better. And that like, in my experience, I th- like 99% of shows that I've seen deal with in that way but Euphoria, I think, really deals with it a lot more realistically, which is, like, mental illness is something that is often chronic, and you're not going to get better. <laughs> like, you're going to manage it, you're going to improve, but you're going to have to deal. And drugs uh, <laughs> sometimes are a pretty good way of dealing with it, and sometimes they're really not. And, yeah, I, actually, I think... If I were to, it, a better way of summarizing it is it deals with both issues very non-judgmentally. It doesn't do a lot of moralizing out of it. Like like Rue, uh, played by Zendaya, she's never presented as evil nor like primarily good either. You know she's she's a fucked up teen going through a lot, but um, it's not like she is presented as some sort of awful misanthrope that everyone needs to help. She's just another teen. And uh, everyone at her school is like, oh shit, she's the one who went to rehab. Ha ha ha. But it's it's it doesn't have that like fake sentimentality that I think you would norm- well, that I would normally expect of a show dealing with teens going through shit. So I'll stop there because there's a whole lot more I could say about it, but anything else would get too spoiler, I think. But I will say that... Uh, yeah, it's it's just an incredible show, and if you have any reservations about it like I did, because it just seems like kind of, I don't know, flippant shit that you might not be into. Teen drama, who cares? Uh, turns out it's fantastic. So, yeah, Euphoria, hard recommendation for that this week. And I was just going to say, I don't know what we're doing. You recommend Adventure Brothers, which is a fantastic nerd thing. I recommended the incredibly popular show that everyone was talking on Twitter about a month ago. <laughs> I gotta consume more nerdy shit before next time. I don't know. I don't think I can play that much more Bloodborne. That's alright, man. You're just doing you. Doing me. I, I, I finally made it to the bottom of the lower Tumaru Chalice today. Uh, the Chalice Dungeons. The mostly randomly generated dungeons, which are... They don't have music. They're very kind of dryly structured compared to the rest of the game and I told myself I wasn't going to play them this time and yet my completionist nerd like I can't I can't let it go I got I gotta scrub every little corner of this game Kyle even if it kills me even if I have nothing else going on in my life because I just have to know I have to know what it's like to to experience the good blood (laughs) 